Hey, this is Darcy Rowling, and welcome to the Women 17 podcast, conversations with global women changing the world one sustainable development goal at a time. In each fortnightly interview, we'll learn about these women's journeys, challenges, successes, which SDGs their work contributes to both globally and locally, as well as hear tips on how our listeners can participate in the advancement of the sustainable development goals. Hi, listeners, and thank you for joining us today. I'm very happy to be speaking with Shanta Bloman, founder and managing director of Mobility for Africa. So welcome, Shanta. Thank you for having me, Darcy. It's great to speak to you today. With great pleasure. Thank you. And I should say you're dialing in from Johannesburg. Yes, where it's a bit wet and, and miserable. Oh, great. Well, it is here also, but I would imagine the degrees of temperature, it's probably pretty warm there. What's the, what's the temperature like? Oh, it's actually quite chilly. It's unusual because it is meant to be summer, but we've had just lots and lots and lots of rain, which, which may not be bad for the farmers and, and, and the region's had a bit of drought, but, but it does feel excessive at the moment. I have to admit. <laughs> get time to get the Wellingtons out, I think. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we've had it also here in France. So uh, in, where I am, it's pretty low. We're at 500 meters um, and uh, above sea level. So we don't get a lot of snow, but just further up the road, we'll get snow if it rains heavily. And of course, the temperature uh, needs to drop, but it's, it's pretty warm here too. So about 10 degrees. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, great. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Um, when, uh, now that we've gotten the weather out of the way, so, <laughs> so um, let's, um, let's delve into to why we're here. So um, as, as always, I'd like to, to give a little bit of a, a background about uh, my interviewee. So um, I'll just dive into that. So uh, Shanta's uh, career spans two decades working with UNICEF um, in the communication space with assignments in Liberia, Pakistan, India, China, and uh, in New York City. She's also a filmmaker, a producer, and director. Um, And the film that uh, I would like to highlight is T-Shirt Travels, the story of secondhand clothes and the third world debt in Zambia, where she traced a T-shirt trail carved by global economy, economics, excuse me, and discovers how secondhand clothing donated as charity in the United States ends up in Africa, leaving Zambia even more impoverished than before. So I, will de- I would like to dig into that in just a few minutes, but I'd like to um, share a little bit more about you that, you know, driven up. Oh, there's the dog. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, driven by her early experiences living in rural Zambia, where women carried enormous uh, a burden of walking long distances, carrying goods, water, and children with no support. In 2018, Shanta founded Mobility for Africa, a social enterprise that brings green mobility solutions to rural women. Shanta holds a master's degree from Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs and an honors degree in history from the University of Western Australia. So, wow, that's a lot. And we only have have a 45-minute podcast. So so, um, I I do want to focus the bulk of our... 
I, I feel old, like- Darcy. <laughs> ah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, th- there's a lot. Well, there's a lot to unfold here and peel away. You've got a lot of experience, um, certainly in the development field and filmmaking. Um, and I do want to spend the bulk of our time talking about mobility for Africa. But first, maybe if we we start at the beginning and you know your long career UNICEF and and as I mentioned filmmaking, can you sort of share um, with our listeners about how how you started your career in international development. Yeah, no, I was young and naive and, of course, wanted to change the world and um, ended up, first of all, studying African history and then travelling to Africa and, as you mentioned, volunteering in in Zambia uh, with an international NGO living in a rural village, tasting firsthand the reality um, that, you know, communities in in rural areas face long distances to water, um, long distances to market, challenges to sort of access services. So it was a really great um, orientation um, to what reality is for many people. And I then um, headed, after travelling around uh, East and Southern Africa for about six months, ended up in New York um, and thinking that I would just automatically be able to um, enter the UN and, and, uh, and make change. And I admit I was most probably in a way I was lucky that this was in the early 90s and I was very determined and I, I, I did a lot of door knocking and I was fortunate to make a connection uh, with someone in the media section, the head of media at the time in New York, and she needed someone to help package press materials and write an internal newsletter. And, you know, being young and eager, I signed up. So started as a, as a, as a short-term consultant, willing to do anything, um, and ended up sort of spending the next two or three years working in communications in different capacities, but a lot of that focused on um, radio and film and TV at the time. There was a great... Um, Bill Hetzer was the chief, and he was a wonderful person who was very focused on uh, child rights and how we could use animation. So I worked on these amazing projects. When I think back on it, I was very, very lucky. Um, I came in through the back door and and was fortunate just to sort of be be ready to, to work on anything that came up. Um, and that was really informative, and it obviously um, led me to, to the documentary space. Um, and, 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 and eager to sort of change the world through trying to educate people about what was wrong, um, big injustices, thinking in a way that if we, we were more informed about the challenges of why there was so much poverty and global injustice, that we would be spurred into action. Uh, so after actually a year in working in Liberia with UNICEF, I came back to New York City and then decided I was going to focus on the documentary career. It took me um, quite a long time to get T-shirt travels made. Um, But I think, um, I mean, I I just, it it was a great time to be sort of in and out of New York. It's a very creative place and people have big dreams. Um, So I was sort of lucky in a way to both have that work experience at UNICEF at that early stage and learn how the UN works, have opportunities to go across the road to 
to, to the UN General Assembly and, and see how the different parts of the UN operated, um, but also be in New York, which was a city at the time filled with a lot of aspiring um, filmmakers and a big sort of new thrust towards reality storytelling. Uh, Michael Moore had just launched Roger and Me. There was a lot of movement in the independent documentary world. So it was just a, it was a great place to be. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, I was there later, um, a couple of years later, but uh, but I was working down on Wall Street. So that's another conversation. <laughs> I didn't spend as much time there. <laughs> no, no, nor you should have. So uh, that, yeah, I was down all down um, on Water Street. So uh, down, down further south. So um, where that lovely uh, statue of that young girl stands uh, these yes. days. So, yeah, so. Well, uh, that's important too. I, I depended a lot on my... Um, on 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 Wall Street, actually, I had some some nice funders from um, from 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 some of the the wealthy Wall Street uh, people to help me fund my film. So, <laughs> well, I thank you for sharing that, and I, I like I mean you, your tenaciousness and knocking on doors and really you know you, you said going through the back door, but you know just really being persistent and sort of linking linking what you wanted to do and and really just pushing your your ideas and uh, and luckily somebody opened that door for you so uh, yes. really really yeah it, it, I think that that's so important um, for all of us these days not to take no and uh, to carry on and continue on and, and network and and keep the conversations going with multiple people so exactly. yeah there's a story there and a lesson there for sure so um, I'd love to just uh, again we want to focus on uh, mobility for Africa but I would I do find uh, the film I haven't seen the film yet that will be yeah. after this call um uh, but i do remember when it came out and i was quite fascinated because um it's and again it's called t-shirt travels and uh, i i actually you know i donate my clothes when they're too small um unfortunately i never have clothes that are too big so it's, it's always too small i don't know what's going on with that um, particularly in covid times but um you know i always felt good you know i'm like okay I, i'm donating my clothes um they're being resold in perhaps a charity shop, those funds are being donated yeah. to, to food banks and, and other, you know, other causes um, and so forth. So I actually always feel really good about donating um, my clothing, but, you know, you know, and, and, you know, I guess I never really have thought about it, but, you know, I guess there is a surplus and, and something has to happen with the surplus of, of clothing that gets carried on uh, and where did that go? So I guess that's sort of where it comes into play um, with T-shirt travel. So maybe could you just expand a little bit about the premise of the film um, and share a little bit yeah. about it with us? And, and Darcy, I always find it hard because, you know, I, it's not that the clothes per se shouldn't be recycled and, to be frank with you, um, secondhand clothes are now sort of very much part of many, many, you know, African economies. So it's not like the, the film wasn't essentially about um, trying to end um, the secondhand clothes industry, but it was more a way to try and connect Americans. Um, at the time, you know, I was living in New York and I wanted to change the power structures and educate people about some of the power that um, was, was held um, through, through the global financial system. And at the time, this was in the late 90s, and there was Bono and Geldof and a lot of people crusading um, for debt relief mm -hmm. in time for the millennium. 
And what I wanted to do was find a connection uh, to ordinary people and through that story try and get them interested and engaged in learning about the sort of power relationship. Um, so it, it was once again a bit um, subversive. Um, the clothes were a way, you know, to intrigue people and through the story we find out how the impact of debt had affected um, Zambia's manufacturing industry uh, but also the, 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 the poverty trap that it was in because at that stage it was forced to pay huge amounts of money back to services debt, which it couldn't use then for education or healthcare or development. And so the film is now, well, no, it was released in 2001. We shot it in, 2000, in 1999. Um, we, we sort of edited it on and off because I was obviously needing to raise funds and I was very, very lucky to work with an amazing New York editor who took my hundred hours of footage. I tend to, I, I, I overshot. I wanted to capture everything, did too many very long interviews. And George and I sort of worked on and off over 2000. We, we, we were very lucky to have a grant from the Soros Documentary Foundation at the time. Um, they used to support a lot of independent filmmaking with these grants that, um, you know, helped helped a lot of us get over the over the over the production line and help with post production. And you know, I was driven by, you know, and as I said, the energy of New York at the time was that you could succeed and that I was going to be the next Michael Moore and make this groundbreaking movie. Um, and as I obviously discovered on the journey it was much tougher um, it was much more competitive to get your film picked up and distributed um, but in 2001 I was very lucky and um, under PBS the public television broadcast in the US there was an initiative called independent um, television service ITVS and they had um, basically a competition and I applied and I was one of 12 um, films that were selected to benefit from support to finish the film, to get the film sort of ready for TV broadcast. And in return, um, a commitment uh, to, 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 to make the film available through public television in the US. So the, the film itself, um, you know, I, I, I didn't go on to become... Um, the Michael, the next Michael Moore. But what was exciting was that in the end, the film did get broadcast in the US, which was my intent, and actually did have a really good shelf life. Um, we, we, ITVS created a series called Independent Lens, which is still, still, still on PBS. It's a great series that packages sort of quirky independent films together. So uh, T-Shirt Travels had a long a long shelf life. I mean, it's still, I think, worth watching. Um, you know, there is Zambia, unfortunately, still has a huge challenge now with new debt. Um, but I think the film questions sort of some of our consumption in the West. It also um, shows how complicated uh, it is for poor countries to overcome some of the the vicious cycle that they face in, in having access 
to finance and being able to really invest the types of sums needed uh, to, to bring a large part of the continent out of, out of serious poverty. And I think the power of the financial institutions, while they've shifted the World Bank and the IMF um, and a lot of the uh, multilateral development banks still control a lot of the decision-making process. And while they talk often in terms of, you know, um, poverty and addressing poverty and the, sometimes the way they force countries into decisions, I think, is still quite cruel and um, make it harder for the types of investment we need in, in education and healthcare and other social services. So, yeah, so it's a, it was taking a very complex subject mm-hmm. and trying to make it interesting uh, by you, the viewer, following this journey. So mm-hmm. you, you'll see we have sort of interviews with people in the US about why they where they think their clothes go. And we also, we followed at the time in Zambia for... Um, four different characters, but in the end, um, we, we only have Luca as our main character. And Luca is an amazing, uh, he was an amazing young guy who sold secondhand clothes in the western part of Zambia with his family. And um, just to tell you a happy story, I, I actually got to Zambia and to Mongu, the town where he lived in 2010. Um, it was during the World Cup and UNICEF had this screening. They were screening World Cup matches in remote areas. It was one of these crazy initiatives, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. And I took um, and I got to screen T-shirt travels um, in this outdoor cinema on in, in Mongu with Luca and, um, and a lot of the community. And then mm-hmm. we watched the football. Um, but it was it was it was like it was really nice to come full circle and be able to share the film back with him yeah well thank you for sharing that I think that I mean this is you're masterful I love you said um uh, uh, what did you say not devious you used another word that was subversive subversive (laughs) yeah and actually I mean it you know it's storytelling and really and relatable I think that that's just you know to to be a filmmaker and, and communications expert to sort of link it to people's real lives like myself and you know by viewing and going huh never thought about that um you know we don't we don't question things sometimes we just you know think somebody else is taking care of that and it's it's actually um funny enough it's a thread through all of the interviews that i've had is sort of querying women that i've interviewed in women 17 it's querying the status quo and 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 just asking a question like why why and and being curious enough to find out and of course for in your case you know you know, right, making a film. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, really. So, I'll, I'll share with our listeners that we will have um, the link to the film um, on our website. So, uh, please uh, take a look there. And I will, um, as soon as we're off the our our um, podcast uh, call, I'm going to um, to watch it myself. <laughs> so. Yeah, thank you. But I think it, it, more importantly, just, you know, while while, you know, you said it was you filmed it about 20 odd years ago. But the, the truth is, is that those themes are really applicable. And in, in if not anything, it's consumerism. So it's sort of where it all begins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, that's a, something to unpeel, I think, for another time, but certainly something that we're all looking at, uh, particularly in the time of COVID. You know, we don't need that much stuff. We don't need that yeah. many clothes. Yeah. Well, where are we going? So, yeah. 
And I think, Darcy, I think it's also true that, um, you know, we've always lived in a globalised world for centuries, but I think COVID has forced us to obviously, because we can't move around like we did, to rethink um, the, the sort of global versus local. And I'm very much a believer in, in the global, um, but at the same time, we live in a world where, you know, even within countries, we know there's huge inequality and it's how do we sort of bring back that balance and, and realise that, you know, and it's a bit like climate change, realise, realising that we have consequences and those consequences are global. And if we're going we're gonna to survive as a species, we're going to have to act a little bit more collectively and be a little bit more engaged and interested in what the consequences are for people that are far away and that we might think we have no relationship with. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's how do we continue to engage people when we sometimes just want to ignore how messy the world is um, and find ways to present the problems with the humanity rather than just all the fear, which yeah. unfortunately tends to be the direction many politicians like to go in. Yeah. Well, and I, I like your connectivity between, you know, make, just getting us to understand, asking the questions and really making that connection. Um, you know, like you said, in the COVID time, I think we're all making these connections much, uh, you know, a lot more than we were pre-COVID. So, um, you know, so, well, thank you for sharing um, uh, that. Uh, and again, the, the link will be on the website. So I'd like to shift gears um, now, I'm still staying with Zambia but a, a different endeavor, that's Mobility for Africa. And as you shared with me in previous conversations that we've had, um, rural women in Africa do about 60% of the agricultural work and as well as manage their household. And a big portion of their day is spent walking. Yeah. And walking long distances to fetch water or go to the river to do dishes or clean clothes. Um, and in fact, the UN Women says collectively that women from Africa spend about 40 billion hours a year fetching water, uh, which is mind boggling to me. I mean, that's just yeah. crazy. So uh, that's with that stage set. Um, can you um, share with our listeners how the idea uh, for mobility for Africa came to fruition and give us a, give us a little bit of background. Thank you. Sure. So um you know, as, as you mentioned, I first lived in a, in a rural village in Zambia in, in the early 90s and then spent, you know, 25 years um, very, very fortunate to work with UNICEF and get to visit many rural communities in the continent um, and just in a way got tired that I never saw any change in this, in the fact that women just still had to bear the brunt of carrying heavy loads, long distances, and felt frustrated as to why we never really had a solution. Um, and while I was living in China, so I, I was with UNICEF for three years in, in, in China, I, you know, China's obviously had a very rapid um, poverty reduction, you know, in 20 years a lot happened. But one of the things that really struck me um, in my visits to rural areas in China was um, the, the ubiquitous nature of transport. Um, so obviously 
Um, there had been bicycles. But more importantly to me, there was these three-wheel tricycles that essentially originally had been pedal and then had moved to petrol and now were shifting to electric. And I thought to myself, well, wow, this is, this is you know, a huge um, benefit to rural women in China. They can carry their loads. They can get to their fields quicker. They can get to the market quicker. It's slow. It uh, doesn't require them to straddle. And, you know, why don't we try this technology in, in China, in, in Africa? This, this is what we've been waiting for. And I think, um, you know, in, it's, it's not that I was the first person to recognise that transport and mobility was a huge barrier uh, to development because it impacts on women getting to the hospital to deliver, you know, increases you know, the chances of maternal mortality, it contributes to child mortality because, you know, people don't go to the clinic if it's far. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a barrier to a lot of, of the social development. Um, but no one really had a ready-made solution. And so I think what I, I mean, what we've, what, what's been really exciting about Mobility for Africa is we started this project uh, in 2019 on the ground, we, we set up our first pilot. And in the last two years, there has been a huge movement uh, and investment in renewable energy. Um, you know, we all know as a, as a planet, we need to shift. And we've seen the cost of solar panels and a huge investment going on across the continent in how to, how to increase access to energy, especially in rural areas with, with using renewable energy. We've also seen um, the, 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 the realisation that we, we can't continue to burn fossil fuels. So now there's a flurry of activity going into electric transport. And we've also seen connectivity in rural areas, you know, access to the cell phone and mobile phones, um, increase mobile money and communication. So I, I think that what's, what Mobility for Africa is trying to test, which is how do we reach rural communities, especially women, with uh, electric tricycles that are charged um, by the sun or in a mix of renewable energy? Um, and, you know, how can we prove that this can be transformative? And what, what I think is exciting is the technology is moving in the direction where we want to go. And so while it's not been an easy journey and we've had to learn a lot, what, what I think is exciting is it is now is the time for Africa to solve this problem. We can no longer pretend that the solutions aren't there. And, and just to sort of say that the challenge, you know, 70% of Africa is still rural. Um, you know, distances vary in different countries. But, you know, usually you have a, a big, you know, you drive along the big main road and there are then people living, you know, at least five kilometres from that road that you may never see. And those people, when they need to sell um, their goods or get to the hospital, you know, walk that, you know, 10, 20 kilometres to that main road and then wait for transport. And motorbikes are great, but they don't carry heavy loads. And they, they depend on petrol. And petrol is an imported commodity. It's expensive and it's definitely not available in rural areas. Bicycles are also great, but they're not great for rural women because 
you can't carry more than 50 kg and you often can't carry water and your children. So, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm really excited that what we're trying to prove is, is doable now. And it may not have been doable 10 years ago, but now we have no excuse to ignore that mobility is a huge barrier to development in rural, in rural Africa. Yes, most certainly. Yeah. And I, I love this idea how you've <clears throat> you've transferred, you know, what you've experienced and seen in, in China um, and, you know, transferred that technology and those ideas to, to Africa, to Zambia. It's already um, making that connectivity and, and importantly, understanding the local community. Yeah. I mean, you paint that picture again, uh, you know, it's it, it, for me to better understand, uh, you know, walking 20 kilometers to the main road. I mean, to me, I mean, I can't even get, you know, my kids to walk, you know, a kilometer to the grocery store. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, that really paints a picture and people have to, you know, and they're carrying their yeah. load with them that they're going to sell. Um, so, it, you know, or go to school or like you said, go to the hospital yeah. and so forth. So, um, so it's a, it's a, you know, it's extraordinary to think about that lack of mobility in these rural villages. Um, and so maybe could you, um, could you share with us um, sort of the, the, a little bit about yep, the process, yep, like the, yep, the vehicles yep. themselves and who they're meant for yep. and, you know, in what instance uh, people would be using them, if you could expand yep. a little bit on that. So, I mean, so we started, so, so I started with a beautiful pitch deck and I thought, oh, this is such a brilliant idea that I will just be able to raise all the money and get this moving and we will, you know, be in every part of Africa by <laughs> next year. That was when I started in 2018. And I had a very good friend say to me, Shanta, the pitch deck is not going to work. You need to just take some tricycles, go into a community and test. So I crowdfunded our first shipment of 50 tricycles and we partnered with students from Tsinghua University in China and students from the Midlands University in Zimbabwe and um, leveraged, you know, some smart young brains to help me design the pilot. Um, and in February 2019, our, our uh, container arrived. Uh, the students arrived. Everyone arrived at the same time, Darcy. It was incredibly stressful. <laughs> I have to tell you, I had to clear customs. <laughs> I had students arriving. I had Chinese technicians arriving. And what we did over that uh, next two weeks was we set up a small factory in Harare. We trained four local technicians in how to assemble uh, the tricycles because from the very start, I wanted to make this an African, you know, we, we, we started with something that we knew worked in China, but we knew we had to test it and experiment and modify it and adapt it to make it truly African. So, so we've, we've, in China, the three-wheel tricycle is called the Sandlature, but we have renamed it the Humba, which means go in Endebili, which is one of the main languages in Zim and actually also means go in Zulu. Um, so the Humba, we basically were very lucky. My uh, business partner in Zim, um, Felicity, her family had a farm and the, we were able to work to use that as our base for setting up a charging station. Uh, so we sort of improvised. We really didn't have much idea, but the students were amazing. And we had already done focus group discussions and community engagement 
within um, this community around the farm. And we had women apply uh, for the first stage. So we started testing 30 tricycles and we decided that the women, we didn't, we, 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 we had many different agendas, but one we wanted to create, um, we wanted to prove that women that are at the bottom of the pyramid and that often never get transport could use and ride this and be taught to drive and feel confident and to really see how it could change their lives. So we wanted only women to be part of the test. And we also were concerned that if we gave it just individually to one woman, that if they took the tricycle home, the man, the, the male uh, would, would co-opt the, the transport and, and we would lose, you know, the woman wouldn't have control. So we decided we would, uh, the, the women would form groups of three and they would also try and work collectively on a, some income generating activity to, to, to also be able to pay the monthly rental fee. And so the first year of 2019, um, we, we, we were sort of, as I said, improvising, <laughs> learning as we go. Um, but we, we knew from the start that the women were very excited and we could see this shift of, you know, so our, our first um, 90 women, I mean, the ages ranged from 18 to 68. Gogo Nelly was our oldest participant. And, I mean, just to watch how this transformed their lives. And I, I remember we had, uh, we, 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 we did a five, so every woman that gets to drive has to do a five-day driving course and pass the test. And we were giving out certificates at the end of this training. And one of the women was just, she, she sort of started crying and said, I cannot believe I can drive. I never thought I would be able to drive. Um, so you can just, you know, just picture how empowered these women um, felt and also how the power indirectly shifted in their lives because it's been amazing. The men respected that this was a women's focus project and that if they weren't, you know, that if, if, if men were caught riding, it would jeopardise the women's groups having access to the Humber. So they really respected that. But it also shifted the power because all of a sudden um, the women, the, the men had to ask the women if they could get a lift to church on Sunday or if there was a funeral and, you know, it was the women giving the men a lift. So it's, it's, been, it's been actually wonderful <laughs> to watch <laughs> women not only benefit from not having to carry heavy loads, but secondly, to just see how the power has slightly shifted. This, this is, so, so we, we did that last year and then in 2000, we managed to get some funding and we brought another shipment of tricycles in uh, early 2020. And we also improved the technology. So we've learned a lot. We've been, we've had students living up at, in the community and we try and capture everything. So not only you know, what could be improved in terms of the design for the African off-road conditions? How do we make the tyres more sturdy? How do we improve the engine? But we also learned a lot about batteries and the charging and how much solar energy we would need. So we've been taking all that learning and trying to improve the technology so we know that it will, will be adaptable 
and 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 sturdy. We don't we don't want to just import something and dump it. So um, the second phase this this last year was we we also focused a lot more on the business modelling because we want to be a social enterprise. We don't want to be a charity. We we need support getting our proof of concept and and building a replicable model. But ultimately, well, we want to prove that it can be self-sustaining and that, um, you know, the women can pay over time. So this year we focused a lot more. We increased our pilot. Um, so we have 150 women and they're all working. They had to reapply and they had to look at um, an income generating activity that they would do together. They had to write a group constitution. So we've got some groups working in agriculture who have been working together, for example, to grow uh, onions and potatoes that will then they can sell and use the money as a group for their priorities as well as to pay off the monthly fee for the rental. Uh, we've had other groups working um, in small-scale enterprise and trading. So these women, some of them sell second-hand clothes now door-to-door and will, instead of just going to a market and waiting for people to buy, they go around and sell and trade. So people might not have cash, but they'll trade things for maize or sorghum and then they will re- re- resell that when they've collected enough. Um, we've had Gogonelli, as I mentioned, she makes bread buns out of an oven built in the ground and she and her daughters now go and sell the buns. They take the buns to the clinic, they take the buns to the school and they've increased the numbers of buns. There's huge demand. But instead of sitting at home hoping that someone stops by to buy, they now can deliver the buns and... Um, and then the third set of um, people we were working with this year, were we, we set up a taxi and logistics service because what we know from our research is that on average, not only um, do, do women face long a lot of time spent walking, but when they do need transport, they can spend up to 20%. It, it, it's actually much more. It can be up to 50%, but at least 20% of their income on transport and we knew that um, many of our the women in our communities might be too poor to rent or buy the tricycle in the long run but they still needed the benefit of mobility services so we have 10 uh, women working in the groups of three who spend the day part of the day um, providing transport to people that need to go to the market or to go to the clinic and they pay a small fee and the women get a commission and that has proved very beneficial. Um, And I think one of the challenges is to try and convince um, impact investors to stop focusing on just the individual but look at the the community as a whole. And, And what I would argue is if you look at the community as a whole, there is enough money being spent on mobility. It's just not very efficient um, and it's not addressing all the demand. But once you look at that as an aggregate, it can be viable. This can be viable. Um, and and the, fourth, the fourth group um, that I was keen to test from, from my years at UNICEF in development was, was local service delivery. So we, we, we decided we would train and give tricycles to 
uh, health community health workers, which was obviously very important in COVID. So these are trained community health workers who who would basically go around door to door and if someone was very sick, try and get them to the to the clinic. Um, and and the the average distance in our community is fifteen kilometers to the to the to the clinic. Um, so so these community health workers have now been able to take people to the clinic if they if they have a serious illness or if they're pregnant or um, they need to go collect their HIV medicine. Uh, we gave two to the clinics in our area, so um, the nurses have been able to use them for outreach, vaccination, um, do mobile care. Um, if there's a malaria outbreak, they can try and investigate where the source of it is. Um, they can increase their health education outreach. And then we also knew that agriculture is a priority and there are agricultural extension workers in all of these community. They're government civil servants, but, you know, and, and tasked with improving skills for local farmers to be, you know, more client, uh, climate resist, you know, climate smart. And so we gave them to them and we also gave them to the, um, to the local police because, you know, we, we wanted to see what the impact would be. And it's been incredible. They all obviously have been much more motivated to do their jobs. One of the local police women was in charge of uh, domestic issues and abuse. And she used to get four or five complaints a month but she could barely ever actually go and follow up because of transport. And now she can go investigate anyone reports a case of, you know, domestic violence, child abuse. She can go to the house. She can speak to the people. She can take the victim to the clinic, take them for a report. I mean, it's just extraordinary how motivated and critical a simple tricycle um, can be in changing lives. Um, so now we have a lot of evidence and we are wanting to sort of basically replicate and, and, and test our model in other communities. Well, Shanta, this is really, it's extraordinary. I mean, how, um, you know, how Mobility for Africa really has, has done job creation, created so many opportunities, not just for the women, but as you just shared, for, for the entire community, the effects of this for the entire community, shifting the power dynamics amongst men and women, um, you know, just creating so much opportunity to, um, for people to lift themselves up out of poverty and to, to, to go further afield. And um, it's extraordinary. I'm so incredibly inspired by this initiative. So really extraordinary. And I love um, what you had shared, uh, you know, you know, you brought the technology from China. You had, you know, I love this sort of intercultural exchange of ideas and having these students from Tsinghua come uh, with students uh, from Zimbabwe. And it's just fantastic how that's all. And then the the other thing is the looking at it from a human human um, like design thinking, human centered mm. design thinking mm. space. Why you know you you had the idea. Of course, you want it to be built. You want them to be built in Africa, um, but adaptable to the terrain and the climate and 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 functionality. So sort of tweaking the product and prototyping and tweaking the product, um, testing and and getting feedback in the community. I think.
you know, you said it, opposed to just sort of, you know, dumping a product, you know, that, that, you know, would work on the nice streets yeah. of, uh, you know, London, they don't work yeah. on the streets, yeah. you know, in rural communities, or even in Beijing. I mean, the streets in yeah. Beijing are really yeah. good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rural communities in, in China. I mean, that's been a yeah. huge initiative. Yeah. Um, having also spent a large portion of my life in, in living in China and working in China. Yeah. I mean, the roads are pretty good in, in, yes. in those, even yeah. in the rural communities there. Even so, the yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'd love to just highlight, you know, this, this uh, mobility for, for Africa hits on so many of the sustainable development goals, mm. including one, which is no poverty, Certainly five, which is gender equality, uh, SDG seven, affordable and clean energy, and SDG eight, which is decent work and economic growth, and uh, 10, uh, which is reduced inequalities. Um, and there's a couple more which we'll de- dig into in just a few minutes. But, you know, I imagine that, you know, you're, you're, it's always the case. We get to hear at the end, you know, while all the beautiful parts of it, but I would imu- imagine that there were some challenges mm-hmm. along the way. I mean, you did mention, you know, sort of this everything came at one time, like a container and, yeah. and bikes and kids and students and everybody came with enthusiasm and, and they're all turning to you for direction. So, um, so putting that, that sort of first initiative, um, you know, uh, hurdle aside, what are some of the challenges that you faced? Um, maybe it's per- pertaining to the solar energy itself or the bike. So could you share yeah. some of the things that you've, uh, or even the community and, and how the community yeah. is, is using them? So I'd love to, to hear some of the, yeah. the challenges that you've faced. Gosh, Darcy, um, yeah, you're right. It's, it, I've had some a lot of sleepless nights. Um, I, I've been very lucky to, we have a team of 10 amazing Zimbabweans. Um, so some of the students who joined uh, the pilot have stayed on. Uh, I found an amazing project manager, Fadzi, who had studied gender studies and actually worked in the local cu- community, uh, the district office where we are located. So she was wonderful with engaging um, local authorities and talking to the local chiefs. Um, and, and I've had my, the amazing support of my business partner, Felicity's mother, who lives in the community and been our big advocate. So, so there's so many different dimensions in terms of you know, the formula of getting this right. Um, I, think, I think one of the big things is from the start, you, if you want to work in rural Africa, you need to, to show respect and, and understand the, the, the sort of structures of the local community and find the right entry points. And so, as I said, we were very lucky that we were guided by uh, Felicity and her mother. We met the local chiefs. We, we spent time explaining to them what we were doing and building trust. So, so one of the... Um, so, so essentially, when you work in rural Africa, it's really important to build trust with the community. And in this case, we were coming to test something new. You know, this wasn't a, a, something people had seen before, the, the, this sort of motorised tricycle. Um, we, we also wanted their feedback and their participation. Um, we knew that we, we wouldn't have the technology right from the beginning. Um, so, for example... We've learned that we, we the, the tricycle will go 50 kilometres on one charge, 
with the current lithium batteries we have. Um, and we've had challenges sometimes producing enough charged batteries to meet the demand. So, of course, it's important that we work uh, with the women in our pilot to, to sort of show them how we're trying to fix and innovate as we go. And so they are very open with giving us feedback. They will tell us what they think should be improved. We know that for this to be replicable and scalable, we need to get um, the charging off-grid solar battery swapping model right. So um, just just to sort of give you the, um, not to go into technical details because I can talk about it a lot, but in a nutshell, of course, um, battery technology is evolving very quickly. Um, you know, Mr. Elon Musk is leading the way with Tesla, but as we know, a lot of other car companies are moving. Um, and so what we need to do for this to cater and be viable in a rural community in Africa is ensure that we have a battery swapping system so that people don't need to own the batteries. They don't have enough electricity um, at their home, even if they have a small solar home kit. It's not going to be enough. The battery also is a very expensive and important part of, of the model and batteries require care and maintenance. So the idea is that for each tricycle, there will be two batteries and one will be charging while the other one is being used. So we now have um, a wonderful engineer who's joined our team who is working to redesign a battery specifically for the tricycle, but also specifically for the heat and the rough road conditions. And the idea is that this tricycle hopefully will go 70 to 80 kilometres on one charge and that the, the batteries will last for, um, you know, 12,000 cycles, which could be, you know, a lot of kilometres, more than 150 kilometres. And then we will recycle those batteries into our charging station. So how our whole idea is that we will um, leverage, you know, off-grid technology in terms of charging. We will master the batteries and the energy storage so we have the right formula. And essentially while it's, I mean, you know, it depends. People ask, well, the upfront costs are expensive, but relative to what? You know, relative to for, you know, the cost of a couple of Toyota vehicles or four-wheel drives, I would argue this, this can have a lot more impact because you can service, you know, a community of our community, 6,000 people. So while it costs the investment, and this is where we're struggling now because we need to find sort of investors that are willing to, to risk take, but the idea is if you can invest in this charging station and the batteries and get that formula right, People can lease to purchase, they can rent. There's different ways people can, 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 can own the tricycle. Um, but you, you basically then have a model that I believe can, can completely disrupt life in rural areas by not only increasing economic activity, giving communities better access to markets because, you know, instead of walking five kilometres with a bucket of onions, they can put 
500 kilos on the back of their Humber, drive to the market, organise to sell to the guy that comes with a big truck and get more money for their produce. They can get their, you know, kids to the to the clinic when they need to be vaccinated. They can they can they can go to school um, without spending huge amounts of time worrying about whether the little kids are going to get home all right. So it can have such a ripple effect in a community. Um, but I would say one of the big challenges now is getting visionary, you know, people that what what I found to be frank is that. Um, in this new world, which I've entered in the social enterprise impact investment world, it's it's very difficult to prove that poor people in informal economies are viable because there isn't a lot of data and there are a lot of assumptions that they're too poor. But I would argue that you're underestimating um, the, the, uh, the, the potential uh, um, and you just maybe need to be more patient. But I know even in Zimbabwe, which is obviously a very tough country to be testing anything, when I started, I assumed Zimbabwe, things would be better, and that's also been a challenge. But even in Zimbabwe, these communities are so resilient and they're so entrepreneurial. And, and this is also, you know, on the, on the women, on SDG 5, I mean, African women, they know how to make money to feed their kids you don't need to micromanage that bit you just need to give them enabling tools so I mean all of our women have just done extraordinary things in the last year by benefiting from saving time and using the humber to to to, to be more productive so to me it's it's very frustrating some days because I you know we know that it's about you know, priorities. And I, I really believe that if we can create a formula, this can have a really transformative impact in rural, rural communities, but especially on the lives of women. And I, and I, I say this because I get passionate, but I think it's unacceptable that we're moving into the 21st century and we think it's okay that, you know, some people can go to the moon and others still need to walk you know, a five-litre bucket on their head for five kilometres. It, it, it's not that African women, this is easier for them than it is for me or you. It's just as painful, but they just learn how to do it from when they're young girls. And I think it's actually unacceptable that we are happy with the status quo. So I'm, 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 I'm just hoping that we can, we can actually get the, the visionaries to join us on this journey so we can succeed in improving the sceptics wrong when they say, oh, these women are too poor or rural Africa isn't going to be viable. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I've got rose-coloured glasses, but I mean, I, the fact that anyone would be a sceptic and say something like this is, is I don't know, it's completely preposterous to me. Um, you know, that, that, you know, what you've just described it, it, it um, you know, creating all this opportunity and these women are already resilient. Um, and as you said, I mean, carrying a five liter 
um, a bucket of water is not a is not something that they want to do. It's that they have yeah. to do that. So certainly, you know, for me, you know, I'm 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 certainly not a skeptic, but I'm not the person that we need to we need to convince for this. But it really, you know, there's so many boxes ticked here for livelihood, and you know, it's it's um it's it's so impressive. And um, to me, it just in plain and simple language that you've shared with us, it's easy to understand the the merits and the need for this um, to move forward. Thank so you. one of the things that uh, another goal that certainly underpinning all of the goals is sustainable development goal 17, which is partnerships for the goals. So, um, and you've highlighted, I mean, you've shared, you know, that you've got, you know, you're working with Felicity, you know, you've had some community change makers and, and action with Felicity and her family and, and, and as such, but I wonder if you could expand a little bit more on some of the partners that you're working with and also, um, uh, and if you don't want to name them by name, that's fine, but maybe just, you know, in general, what types of partners that you you work with and then also um be interested to to learn to learn what do you need what does mobility for africa need in order to scale these yeah. plans so um i mean we i obviously um believe that if we're going to succeed i mean mobility for africa should be one of many actors because you know we're talking a huge continent um, so one of the things that we're really committed to is how do we build an ecosystem um, that supports, um, you know, pro-poor, pro-rural, pro-women electric mobility. And that means we, we need government because we need to be able to get the regulatory framework to work and for there to be the nuance needed um, so that rural women don't face, you know, high... Um, fees for getting a license or registering the tricycle. And so at the moment in Zimbabwe, we're actually really lucky. We've, we've built very strong relationships and we will be working this year on, 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 on helping them write some regulatory framework uh, for, the, for, this, for this whole sector. And that's, that's a job that needs to be done in many countries and is just starting. The, obviously, um, we, we also realise that especially as part of our experience in talking to um, investors is we need to show how we can bring, we can better access small scale farmers. We can help small scale farmers better access markets. So already there are a lot of um, initiatives supported by NGOs as well as private agricultural businesses to create outgrower schemes. So this means that, you know, we'll sign up 100 small-scale farmers and get them to grow one crop um, and we will give them the seed and help them with the technical skills and then we will commit to buying that crop. So the so we have been speaking, actually, we have a partnership with um, the Livestock Meat and Advisory Association in, in Zimbabwe, for example, who are starting a, a poultry chicken egg-laying project because they want to improve nutrition and so they are working in one community with rural women on increasing egg production and how to get that to the market so we'll we'll partner with them and the plan is we'll bring mobility uh, to improve to improve the productivity and and obviously the 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 partner will do the training and help the women sell the eggs 
So, you know, we're not doing everything. Um, we also have the, the next site is we have two pending places we want to start working this year. Uh, Dom Bashawa, which is with the egg, egg laying uh, ladies. And, uh, and then the second is with small scale dairy farmers. So this is a partnership with um, We Effect, which is a, a Swedish funded NGO that is helping small scale dairy farmers get cows and teach them how to improve dairy farming. The Dairy Board, which is a company that buys milk and helps um, set, they have these milk collection depots. And the problem is the farmers have problems with the last mile of getting their milk from their farm to the collection point where the big truck comes. And that means the milk either gets spilt, it arrives and the quality isn't great, so they get rejected. So obviously the Humber will be the link to improving their productivity. And then we're, so so, we're, so agricultural partners, and then and then I'm busy also hoping that we can, we can talk to, um, you know, we've been in touch with the Ministry of Health, but how could we work with um, rural service providers in health and in agriculture to make sure that the Humber could be part of, you know, improved health delivery. Um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that this year we can get more support. And we've also been lucky. We've had some great foundation support. We've had Toyota Mobility Foundation give us um, some grant funding. And they've also given us a lot of technical expertise in how we can make the tricycle um, stronger and more robust. Uh, we've had, uh, we were very lucky to, to win an, a grant from Expo Live and we will be showcased at the World Expo this year in Dubai. Um, so that's also another great opportunity. Um, so I'm, 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 we're very open to collaboration because I mean, having worked a long time in the continent, um, I don't see this as a competition. I want to make change. And we need, we need a lot of help um, on many different fronts if we're going to, you know, meet the SDGs and have real, real change. Uh, so I see, you know, if, if, if Mobility for Africa can be the link between, you know, um, service providers with agricultural business and we provide the mobility solutions, then that, that would be my ideal. And the final aspect, sorry, we're trying to look at is how do we also work with vocational training institutes? And we've got a partnership with uh, the University of Zimbabwe, their mechanical engineering unit, to get a whole new generation of young people and mechanics that understand the difference between a combustible engine and how an electric vehicle works. And I'm, I'm really focused on how do we do it from the ground up rather than from the top down. So, so partnership is critical for our, for our success. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and a myriad at that and, and so many different um, players there. So um, that's you know, the importance of goal number 17 is so, yeah. so vital. Uh, yeah. And uh, touching on every, every aspect that you've just shared. So whether it's agricultural or, um, you know, dairy and, and of course the transportation itself. So, um, so lots of opportunity and yes. of course government, um, yeah. which is critical. <laughs> that's a, that's a very critical piece. A, a lot of things I would imagine can happen and can't happen based on, on that yeah. relationship. No, we've been, we've been lucky to, to succeed in 
in already getting some some we actually succeeded in getting um there was no there's no classification for the tricycle um in the in the in the customs import area and obviously because we wanted to do local manufacturing we had succeeded in lobbying the ministry of finance to introduce a new statutory instrument so that um, there will be no import duty on the tricycles that we make i mean that's for anyone that enters but we felt very proud (laughs) that we we have succeeded in in getting even a even getting a um incentive for for tricycle manufacturing locally yeah, well, oh, that's great, and and I think uh, it's a, a, amazing. I say that's quite a feather in your cap for that. Uh, no, no small task uh, trying to get that done. So, well, I I'm I'm so inspired, and I think you know our our listeners are really inspired by um, that all you shared and 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 mobility for Africa's efforts, um, and the sca- the potential scalability of it of um, of transportation and on the continent. Um, I wonder if you could share, I always ask the women um, at the end of the interview, if you could give a piece of advice. Um, I have a lot of listeners that listen with their, um, yes. with their daughters and I've got mid-career women and, you know, and men too. So I wonder if you could share some, some advice that you would give to women who are keen to help others in their local yeah. community. Um, yeah, love to hear your advice. Um, so I think... I mean, I think as women, um, we we do need to often be a bit, a bit more braver, um, and not be intimidated, especially when we're confronted with a room full of men. I mean, in my journey, uh, especially leaving the UN, where there were a lot more women, I now. Uh, the business sector is dominated by men. The financiers are dominated by men. The technology people and engineers are traditionally men. So I think as women, we have to just keep keep our cool. We have to be strong and brave and not be intimidated um, in settings where we're confronted and feel like a minority or we, we, we're not encouraged to speak or share. Um, and I, I think also persistency. Um, you know, you, I, I've realised that doors open when they should and not when you may want them to. So you've, you've got to be patient and you've got to keep on knocking and maybe a door you knocked on that didn't open may open a year later. So I'm, I've learned to be patient. And I think, I think the big thing is not to be afraid of failure or learning. I mean, that, that's one of the cliches now in the startup innovation space, but it's true. Um, you know, learning as you go is good. And it's, 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 it's about, you know, asking the right questions. And I've told this to my team in Zim because um, there, there are a lot of, you know, they're, they're always wanting a course. They say, well, what should we study? And I said, no, there's no course. We're learning, you know. No one has the answers to what we're doing. We have to ask the right questions and then figure out how we answer those questions with the evidence. So I, I just think curiosity and, and not being afraid to fail. I, I, failure is not failure. Failure is learning. Um, so, so I think sometimes we're caught in a world where we, we always think we have to be successful straight away. And, and, and life's a journey. You have, it has ups and downs. So I'm, I've, be, I've become patient and, and just 
willing to keep on learning. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Those are wise words and um, something that I personally adhere to. I, I love that, you know, uh, that sense of curiosity and, and learning. It's so important. And you're, you're innovators and you're change makers and there's no road paved yeah. here. And so literally and figuratively. And so I think that, you know, you've, you've, you know, you're giving them the opportunity um, to, to create a new, a new path forward. Um, and with that, like you said, there's going to be some failures and, and some successes. So, um, so I'm very inspired by, by this. And um, as I said, I, uh, as I'm imagining our, our listeners are, and certainly the local communities that, that you're enabling um, uh, and, and supporting to, to have better lives. So, um, so thank you so much. Um, I would like to also highlight um, before I let you go um i'd like to highlight that your good self uh and felicity fallon from lake aid who i did a podcast interview with a couple months ago will be on a tedx panel discussion on february 11th which is uh this coming week it's at 3 p.m central time and i'll have the details on how to sign up on the website but um it'll be a 45 minute spot where we'll be interviewed and and you'll be interviewed about (laughs) for africa um, as well as Felicity and myself. So appreciate you participating oh, in that you, and certainly giving us your time today. It's, uh, it's been so inspirational and uh, many, many things to learn here um, about resilience. I think if you go back to what you said at the very beginning of this call, it was, you know, really sort of pushing the door and pushing, pushing forward and that door's closed. You're opening up another one. So I think that uh, you can draw some parallels between what you, you started out at your career and, and where you yeah. ended up. Yes, no. Life is definitely there's never a dull moment if if you're if you're if you're brave enough to do crazy things. But thank you, Darcy. Thank you for the time. With pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And as always, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in to the Women 17 podcast, Conversations with Global Women, Changing the World, One Sustainable Development Goal at a Time. We welcome your feedback from today's podcast and wish you a happy, safe, and productive day. Thank you.